My name is Johnny Pereira. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and we are so thrilled that you joined us here this morning, whether that's in person, whether that's online. Uh, we're going to get right into it this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at verses through verses 5 all the way through verses 13 this morning. As you're turning there, let me remind you of where we have been. This may be your very first week here. You may be turning in for the very first time uh, online. And so let me remind you of where we have been. We started two weeks ago a series entitled Abide. And if you remember this, I said this the first week, I said this last week, I'll say it today, obviously, and I'll say it for the rest of the time that we're in this week. I want you to view this series that we are in as more than that, more than a series. I want you to see it as something that we as elders and pastors of this church have been praying over for the last 18 months, that abide would be a word that would be part of the language of this church that it would be a part of our culture. That if you were to say, uh, what is it, you know, where do you go to church? And you're like, well, I go to church at Salem Chapel. And you're like, well, what's the thing that you love about Salem Chapel? And you say, man, what I love about Salem Chapel is that they value me abiding with Jesus. And they've shown me how to do it. See, what we're really going after is about setting a culture here that Abide is more than something that you see on a wall in this place, but it's something that is written on your heart, and it's something that we have shown you how to do, and it's become a part of your rhythm, your daily rhythm with Jesus. Someone defined culture as this way, whatever's your normal. It's a pretty simple definition, isn't it? That culture is whatever your normal is. Someone else has defined it this way. Whatever are repeatable patterns of behavior in your life, that's your culture, You have a culture. Your home has a culture. The place that you work has a culture. Here's something you need to understand about culture. You are defining it and developing it whether you're being intentional or not. Every household, every person has a culture. What are the repeatable patterns of behavior in your life that are normal? And so as we look at this series, Abide, but more importantly, what we mean by that and the importance that Jesus places on that, what we are going after is introducing something that we want to be said of the people that call this place their home, that abiding with Jesus is a repeatable pattern of behavior in your personal life. That's what we're going after. And so let me turn myself to Matthew chapter 5. But before we look at that, let me just remind ourselves of why we're placing a high importance on abide. We looked at this two weeks ago, John 15. These are the words of Jesus in verse 5. He says, I'm the vine. I'm your spiritual life source. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Aren't you so thankful that Jesus just doesn't say a little bit of fruit, some fruit, but he actually says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. There is a promise there. And who of us doesn't want to have a life that has value, that has significance, that feels like we're a part of something, achieving something beyond ourselves. that will not just last in this lifetime, but will last for all of eternity. Every person wants to leave a legacy. Every person. And here Jesus tells us that if you are looking to me as your spiritual life source, you're just not gonna bear a little bit of fruit, but you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to have an impact on others that's going to have eternal value. And who doesn't want that? But Jesus says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's my promise, but you need to understand that if you aren't abiding in me, if you aren't communing with me, having relationship with me, seeing me as your spiritual life source, yo, you can have goals and have aspirations, but they're not gonna bring the significance and contentment and long-lasting value that we all desire to have of our lives. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, we talked about the significance of abiding in Jesus means reading his words to you. We introduced a Bible reading tool last week, helping you to abide with Jesus. Now this morning, we're gonna talk about prayer because it says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to abide in my words I want you to spend time with what I'm saying, but I also want you to spend time talking to me, communing with me, 
speaking to me. Then it says in verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear, there's that phrase again, much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Here's how we define abide here at Salem Chapel. Abide, before I give that definition, is the Greek word that means to remain, to commune with, to be in relationship with. So here's how we've defined abide here at Salem Chapel. It's, it, you're going to see it. It's, it's everywhere. It's going to be downstairs. If you have kids and you drop off your kids, it's this, walking hand in hand with Jesus as he leads the way. There is intentionality in how we have defined that. Because it's relationship. I'm holding the hand of Jesus. It's humility that I'm admitting that I need to hold the hand of Jesus. The only person that I will hold hands with is my wife. I'm not, I'm gonna love, I got a lot of dudes in here that I love to death, but I ain't holding your hand. But there's something about a humility saying, you know whose hand I do need to hold outside of my wife's more tightly than anyone else is Jesus's because I need it. It's my lifeline. He's my guide. He's my provider. I'm gonna walk hand in hand with Jesus. Not as I lead the way, Not as I kick and scream along the way, but as he leads the way, walking hand in hand with him as he leads the way. It's relationship. See, there's many in this room that would say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what you would mean by that, most likely, is that you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You believe that there's no good that you could ever do to warrant favor with a holy God, that your sin separates you from God's favor and having a relationship with him because God's perfect and you're not. And so you believe that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came and lived a perfect life for you in place of your sinful life, of my sinful life. He died on the cross for my sins because the wages of my sin is death, as Romans 6, 23 says. He rose again three days later, that resurrection proving that God accepted Jesus' perfect life and perfect death for your sin and mine. And so you would say today, I have a relationship with Jesus because I've placed my trust in what Jesus has accomplished for me, not in the good that I can do, but in the perfection that he has accomplished for me. So if that's you, you would say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But listen to me, your relationship with Jesus Christ is so much more than about a possession of what you possess, of the hope that you have that when you die in this life that you'll be with him forever, as glorious and awesome and generous and beautiful as that is, it's more than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's what the Lord wants you to have. He wants you to have an experience. He just wants you to have something. He wants you to experience a relationship with him to commune with him, to abide with him, to walk hand in hand with him as he leads you through the way, through the ups, through the downs, through the difficult, through the amazing. That's what Jesus wants for you. So look at Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. And what we're going to look at this morning is how do we pray? Because abiding with Jesus is more than just reading his word, his words to you. It's also about talking to him. So look at what Jesus says here in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. What makes a hypocrite a hypocrite? When they say one thing and they do another. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So in other words, what was going on here, and and what you need to understand is in Jewish tradition back in this time, most Jews would pray out loud. They would not pray silently. Like some of you would say, well, I pray uh, in my own time with the Lord, but I pray in my head. Like I don't pray out loud. Well, well, that was not common in Jewish culture. Uh, Jews would pray out loud. And so you would have these individuals and they would pray out loud and they'd love to give these five syllable words and talk all of these different things and so that everyone could hear them so that they could think that they were spiritual. So really what they were doing is they were not conversing with God. They were just putting on a show, which is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. Is truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Like the praise of people thinking they're awesome was their reward. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, 
Pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying there's anything wrong with praying publicly. We've done that today. But he's saying is, what's the motivation of your heart when you pray? Like, then you're seeing something. Do you just want to pray so you can be seen by people and they can think you're, there's, you know, you got something going on that's, that's pretty good? But what do you do when nobody else is watching? Jesus is saying, focus on that. Verse seven, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So we use that Gentiles speak of people that don't have a relationship with the Lord. Like you had a lot of, a lot of cultures during this time that would do incantations and they would do all sorts of things and they would babble on whatever, hoping that God, their God would hear them. And he's like, don't do that. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. You ought to underline that phrase. And then Jesus says this in verse nine. I have this circle, this phrase in my Bible. He says, pray then like this. So if we're using our Bible reading plan, if you're in our abide reading plan, and if you don't have one of those, you can grab it at the Welcome Center, let you know the passages of scripture to read that deal with each one of these uh, ideas of what it means to abide with Jesus. So if I'm reading this passage of scripture using the Bible reading tool and I'm in that first question, what, did, what is God saying in what I read? I see pray then like this. That's something I'm circling, I'm boxing. That's significant. Because then Jesus says this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. What is Jesus doing here? He's telling his disciples how to pray. Now, can, we, can you just imagine with me for a second? Imagine you're one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Like, that'd be pretty awesome, would it not? You're one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Think of the front row seat that you would have had being one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Like, like you would have been at the wedding of Canaan when he turned water into wine. How awesome would that have been to be able to see that? I mean, I was at a wedding. Some of you were uh, with me at a wedding yesterday, and I remember I was talking with the, with the bride's parents, and they were a little worried about if they were going to, you know, have too much food and have too much drink. And I was joking. I was like, well, Jesus ain't showing up to this, even though, he, you know, it's a gospel-centered wedding. Jesus ain't showing up in person to this, so I, you know, I was just joking with them. I knew they'd have enough, but just playing with them a little bit because they were already a little stressed out. So, um, but think about what that would have been like. I mean, and to taste the wine that Jesus made, like that would have been amazing. I don't know if some of you are wine lovers, some of you are not. Those of you who are that, that'd be pretty, pretty awesome. You got a front row seat to that. How about a front row seat? to the feeding of the 5,000. Like that would have been amazing to be able to see that. And Jesus takes five loaves and two fishes from this boy and to be able to see it multiplied in overfeeding over 5,000 people. Or how about all the people that Jesus would have healed that were sick, the lame, the blind, those with leprosy, other ailments, to be able to have a front row seat to those things. Listen, to have a front row seat to see Jesus raise someone from the dead who was already buried for days. Amazing. And here's why I mention that. Because of all the things that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them, none of those things are mentioned. You'll not find anywhere where, Jesus, where, where his disciples say, hey Jesus, can you tell us how to turn water into wine. Like I got a daughter who's getting married soon. That'd be an awesome thing. Save the budget to be able to know how to do that. Or hey, I have, I have uh, you know, the cupboards are, are short this month and we're not sure what we're going to eat. Man, it'd be awesome, Jesus, for you to teach us how to take uh, what we got and to multiply it into uh, an overflowing bounty of food. Like that'd be an amazing thing. I'd kind of want to learn that, wouldn't you? Or to be able to raise someone from the dead or to be able to, 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 take dirt and to spit in it and rub it together and put it on someone's eyes and for them to be able to see. Like those are things, if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like, Jesus, I got a lot I want you to teach me. But look at Luke 11, or just listen to Luke 11.1. 1. You can turn there if you want. You can write Luke 11 next to 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 through 13, because this is another recording of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. But I love the way Luke phrases it. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. So he's actually praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. So remember what I said in Jewish culture during this time, the vast majority of the prayers were prayed out loud. So of all the things that Jesus' disciples had a front row seat on, every day, they just didn't get to see Jesus pray, they got to hear him pray. And if I'm putting myself in the disciples' shoes that we don't have any clear uh, direction in God's word that, uh, that this was done, I have to imagine that of all the things that the disciples would have asked, that we wouldn't have faulted them for it all, that would have made common sense. The fact that they asked Jesus to teach them to pray, that's the only time this phrase is used in regards to anything that Jesus did, shows me that what they saw Jesus do was more powerful than any of the other miracles that he's done. And so here's the title of the message this morning. It's exactly what the disciples said. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. Some statistics that I want to give you that I thought was interesting. 94% of Americans have prayed at least once in the last three months. This is from George Barna. does a lot of research on the church. 94%. Now, once in the last three months, what he doesn't say is you could have prayed, you know, you can pray for your food at lunch and that would have counted. So, you know, while you look at that statistic, you're like, that's pretty good. Well, it didn't say what types of prayers. Not that praying for your food is wrong. It says 55% of Americans pray every day. So, you know, didn't say the substance, whatever, 55%. This is what I thought was interesting. 82% of Christians say that they pray silently. Only 13% pray audibly. Now, I don't know what the other percentage points do, but 13% pray audibly. Now, if you're like me, I'm just going to be transparent this morning. Uh, I don't pray silently. If you do, that's awesome. God bless you. You're better than me in that regard and being able to keep your mind focused. Because when I'm praying silently, here's what happens. I'm thinking about the stuff that I need to do. I'm thinking about the game that I just watched the night before and what happened. I mean, I'm thinking about all these things and after a while, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not even praying anymore. I'm thinking about all kinds of stuff. So what do I do? I pray audibly. Not that you don't, you have to do that. But I just thought that was interesting. And what we're going after this morning is to be able to give you a way to pray. It's not the only way. It may not even be the best way. But it's to give you a way to pray that's shaped to what Jesus says. So here's the idea that I want you to get this morning. It's this, that you are abiding in Jesus. Because isn't that what we want when we do what? When we are taking time to talk to him. Last week we talked about when we're reading his words to us. When we're spending time in God's word, we're abiding with Jesus. But it just doesn't stop there. We're also abiding with Jesus when we're talking to him. See, a very simple definition of prayer that your child can understand if you have a child and we as adults can resonate with. Prayer is simply this, talking to God. That's the simplest definition that I can think of in regards to to prayer. See, here's the issue. We talk to everybody else, don't we? When we have a problem, we talk to everybody else. And usually the Lord's the last person that we talk to about something. I mean, now you even have people that love to talk on Instagram stories and TikTok, like just go on and on and on about themselves, not even hoping for a response, but just to talk. I just find that interesting. I'm like, dude, you're not that important. But just weighing on and on and on about random nothingness and think that someone actually wants to watch that. But we talk about everything. And here's what's different. 
is the one person who cares more, who loves more, who listens more, who can provide more, who can, is, can do absolutely anything and everything to intervene in a situation and to work what seems not to be good for good. Romans 8, 28, the creator of the universe is just waiting for you to talk to him. Revelation 3.20 says this. This is a key passage of scripture to this idea of abiding. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants you to open the door. To open the door of your life. And say, Jesus, rather than doing an Instagram story or a TikTok talking about how I feel or calling up my girlfriend or my boyfriend or whoever else it is and let them know about my problems, though there's nothing wrong with that, Lord, am I actually opening up the door of my life knowing that you want to come in, that you want to listen, that you want to commune with me, that you want to walk hand in hand with me? so that you can lead the way. That's what we're going after as a church. That's what we wanna help you experience. More importantly, that's what the Lord wants for you. So how did Jesus teach you to pray? How did he do it? And not just teach you how to pray, but get this, we forget this, pray just like Jesus did. Like Jesus isn't like, well, guys, you know, you wanted me to teach you to pray. I just got to tell you, you know, I'm God and you're not. So it's going to, you know, you're going to try, but you're never going to be able to do it as good as me. And and you're going to try and you're going to get frustrated. No, Jesus says, I'm going to show you how to pray just like I do. I don't know about you, but that has caused me to look at this in a fresh way. And so what we've developed here at Salem Chapel is a prayer tool to help you. Now let me say this before we get into this tool. Because as we're walking through last week and this week and the next three weeks to come, here's what I want you to know. We're getting real practical. We're actually showing you how to use this tool. A lot of times you go to messages and I preach many of them and we'll preach many of them and they're more about a thought and, and, and but it doesn't deal specifically with how can I actually take that thing and I have a tool in place to be able to use that in my life and not just in my life but I can show someone else how to do it who doesn't know how to do that either. So that's what we're doing. We're getting real practical. Now, here's what you need to understand about these tools. They can feel mechanical. What do I mean by that? Okay, so um, what's the second question I'm supposed to ask when I'm reading the Bible? What's the third question I'm supposed to ask? Oh, let me get out my cheat sheet in my journal and let me see exactly. Okay, now I understand. It can feel mechanical. But can I ask this? How many of you know how to ride a bike? Raise your hand. Okay, some, we've got like half the crowd that doesn't know how to ride a bike, I guess. My goodness. So when you ride a bike, I'm going to assume that you just didn't want to raise your hand and whatever. But when you're riding a bike, you remember the first time you rode a bike? Well, you had training wheels on, right? If you had a parent that somewhat cared about you, you had training wheels on. And so you're riding that bike, right? And then what happens? You know, you have a parent or someone that loved you. Maybe it wasn't your parent who'd hold on the back of that seat, right? And they'd run behind you and then they'd slowly let go and then they'd grab it again when you started to get it. It felt mechanical, didn't it? But after a while, now when you jump on your bike, if you ride a bike and you jump on it, you're not thinking about, okay, make sure I balance, keep my weight centered. No, you just ride the bike, be true of anything you like to golf you're like okay uh, how am I supposed to do this and 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 all of a sudden not so much with golf actually but but you just you start to do it It can be true of anything it'd be true if you're a mechanic right you went to mechanic school you're what you're learning all those things now when you change the oil or change a part on the car you're not even thinking about it why because you've learned it so what I want to encourage you with is we lay out these cool tools it can feel mechanical at first but don't allow that to cause you not to want to do it because after a while you know what would begin to happen you'd be like hey I know exactly I'm reading the Bible I'm not even thinking about the three questions I'm just kind of working through it 
So we're going to look at you today. Man, I'm not even thinking about the different movements of this prayer tool. It's just become part of my routine. Anything at the beginning that you do feels mechanical. But it's about pressing beyond that. So let me answer this question. How did Jesus teach you to pray? I want to break down this tool in four parts because that's what Jesus does. And this tool is really about four movements of your heart as you pray. Here's why I say that. Did you notice in verse 8, I had you underline it? It says, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, if you're like me and you're a little bit argumentative by nature and you're a little bit of a contrarian, you're like, well, so it says that he already knows what I need before I ask him. So then, Johnny, why do I need to pray? That'd be a good question. Because here's what you need to understand. Prayer has more to do with the prayer than the one you're praying to. See, prayer, what it does is it postures my heart in a certain way. It reminds me that I need someone more than myself. It reminds me that someone else cares about this more than myself. It reminds me that I serve a heavenly father who is at work in this thing that I don't know how it's gonna be answered. See, prayer has more to do with the prayer. It's about a posture of my heart even more than the provisions that I am praying for. Not to minimize those things at all, but it's about the posture of my heart. So what are these four heart movements? Here's the first one. Look at verse nine. It says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus says, start out like this. See, there's an upward movement of my heart that the Lord is after. It starts with me acknowledging who God is and thanking God for who he is. Acknowledging and thanking him for who he is and the relationship that I enjoy because of Jesus. So it's literally just saying something like this. This is not, you need to pray this verbatim, but just to give you an idea. It's starting off your time with the Lord saying, Father, I wanna thank you for being my Savior, my provider, my protector, my strength, my peace. But I just want to take time before I go to you and letting you know what I need. I just want to remind myself of who you are and the reality that you even want me to talk to you. See, so often we want to go straight to our needs, don't we? We go straight to them. Bam. Let's go with my needs. Lord, here's the laundry list that I have. And the Lord wants to hear those, and he wants to meet those, and he wants to provide for those. But listen to me. If praying is a part of our relationship with him, abiding with him, which it is, the Lord wants us to see prayer as something that's not just this transactional exchanging of my requests to God. Now, you're supposed to meet these. He wants us to experience it as relational. Like if I have a relationship with you and the only time I talk to you is when I need something, what are you going to feel like at best? You're going to feel used. But if I start off and I was like, hey, can I just thank you for the friend that you are? Can I just thank you for being with me and being there for me and listening to me and helping me when I was struggling and putting your arm around me to give me some encouraging words. Can I just thank you for that? Man, that's relationship with any friend that you would have, with any spouse that you would have. The same is with Jesus. So I think it's significant that Jesus says to start off, we say, our Father who is in heaven. See, even the idea of Father to the Jews at this point, especially before Jesus dies and is rose, rose, risen again, like, the idea of calling God Father was completely foreign. So when Jesus says this to his disciples, he says this because, here's, this is so significant. He says this because this is how Jesus prayed. And so what he's telling his disciples is, is you have the opportunity to call God by the same name that me, God in the flesh, calls God. You can have the same relationship that I have with God the Father. So don't call him as some distant God, some judgmental God, some God who really doesn't care about the intricate details of your life. No, 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 start off by reminding yourself of the, 
blessed, beautiful privilege you have to talk to the God of the universe. There's a reverence there. Because what happens is it reminds me that even though these problems that I want to pray for and I want to get to and these needs that I want to get to right away, God, let me first remind me of how big you are, how great you are, how loving you are. Because when I remind myself of how big you are, all of a sudden I'm able to set into perspective that these needs that I have, as big as they may be, they're not bigger than the God who can meet them. See, there's an upward movement that needs to start as we go to the Lord. Not because of some tool that we cooked up over the last 18 months. All we're doing is we're saying, hey, how can we pray like Jesus did? Here's a second movement. There's a downward movement. Look at verse 10. There's a downward movement of my heart as I'm praying. Here's what I mean by that. Jesus says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, your will is perfect in heaven, but Lord, can, we, can I make sure that my will is in line with your will? There's this downward movement from heaven to earth. Lord, help me to be able to be in line with your will and your purposes. Now let me just be candid. This is the place that I think has tripped up a lot of us as we've already started to use this tool. Like, what does the downward piece mean? Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm not sure how that connects. You know, after all, when you introduce something, you're like, I want to make sure I'm doing it right. So here's what we mean by this. It's, it's the aspect of prayer that has to deal with spiritual alignment. You ever get your car aligned? Most of you, if you don't have a brand new car, have had to do that. Why? Because you hit bumps, you hit different things, and what does it do? It can knock your car out of alignment. So literally, you have to work hard at keeping the steering wheel uh, in a certain way so that you can go straight. But man, you let your, your hand off the wheel and woof, you're to the left or you're to the right. So what do you do? You go in for an alignment. What does it do? It sets the, the wheels right so that car can drive the way that it needs to drive. And so by praying and thinking about this downward movement, what it is, it's a prayer of spiritual alignment. Alignment to what? Alignment to God's will. Alignment to kingdom purposes. Why is that important? Because if you're like me, I can get so sidetracked that when I'm going to the Lord, and I have a journal as well, so I'm not just asking you to get one, I have a journal as well, that when I'm praying, you know what I oftentimes want to do? I don't mean to do this, but I approach the Lord as a genie in the bottle. Like, Lord, I've been granted this amazing gift, and so here are my three wishes, and I hope you grant me my three wishes, or five wishes, or ten wishes, or however many wishes I have, and you you better do it on the timeline that I'm doing it because if you don't, then I'm really not interested in praying anymore. Maybe that's some of you why you don't pray anymore. That's our nature. We want to be God. We want God to do our bidding, not us to do his bidding. So this downward peace, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's simply us thinking this way. Lord, whatever I'm praying about, I'm submitting it to your will. Think about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. What is he doing? He's pouring his heart out to the Lord, and he's saying, Lord, if there's any way possible that I can save mankind another way, let it be done. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. There's nothing wrong with telling God our desires. Lord, I, I desire this. I want to do this. I I. I, I I want to go after this, but God, I also understand that my will is subject to your will. So Lord, it's your kingdom come, your will be done. And even as I'm praying this, Lord, would I also be reminded that whatever it is that I'm taking to you, Lord, part of it is not just submitting myself to your will and this to your will, but it's also saying, Lord, let me also remind myself that if you do answer this in this way that I'm desiring, or if you answer it in a different way, Lord, would you help me to see how I can use this opportunity or use this provision that you will bring into my life to advance your kingdom purposes on this earth, that I could actually make a difference by this being asked. Let me give you a perfect example. Maybe you're praying for a job. 
a certain job and you don't like the job that you're at or you're hoping for a promotion at the job that you're at and you're praying about that and you're taking it to the Lord and using this prayer tool and you're like, Lord, I wanna thank you so much that you've even provided this job for me or you provided this opportunity for me. It's just another sign of your provision. But God, even as I'm, before I even take my desire to you, Lord, I also wanna say, Lord, help that what I'm gonna pray here in a moment is aligned with your will. So God, if you don't answer this, Lord, help me to understand that your will's better than my will. And God, if you do answer it, help me to understand that this is an opportunity for me, this job, this promotion's an opportunity for me to work here or oversee these people, not just so that I can make a better living, but so that I also can be a testimony of how the gospel in Jesus is changing my life. And maybe I'll have an opportunity to tell them about who Jesus is to me. That's the idea of your kingdom come, your will be done, this downward movement. Lord, let me make sure that I understand and trust that your will is best. Help me to remind myself and understand that I'm not the center of the universe, that you've put me here for a purpose and for a reason, and is it to advance your kingdom here on this earth, to be a testimony to a life changed by Jesus Christ. Help me to remind myself of that before I ever go to the needs. That's the downward piece. It's literally praying something like this. Lord, would you show me where my will needs to align with the Bible? Which the Bible is his will. Lord, would you show me where my will needs to align with the Bible in this decision, in this emotion, in this circumstance that I'm facing? And when we have allowed ourselves to focus our heart upward and to focus our heart downward, you know what it does? It puts us in a great position now to tell the Lord what we need. So here's the third movement. There's this inward movement. So can you do this with me just like the prayer tool? You got the upward movement. Do that with me. Don't let me be the only one. Upward movement, downward movement. Now we're focusing on the inward movement. What's going on in my life? What are the needs that I'm asking the Lord to provide? What are the relational things that I need the Lord to work in? It's literally us doing this, taking our needs to the Lord, knowing that he intricately cares for every one of them. You ever find yourself in a position when you're talking with someone and you're you're telling them what what, what you need and what's going on in your life and you walk away from that conversation thinking, I'm not really sure they cared about that as much as I do, right? And sometimes that's not even on purpose. Sometimes the person's trying to empathize with you, but they just can't. But you know what I love when the Lord says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. What Jesus is saying is, here's an invitation for you to tell me exactly what you feel you need. And here's an invitation and you knowing that I want to listen. I want to provide. I want to meet. I want to intercede. In a way that you can't even fathom. In a way that you're not even thinking. Do you see the heart of Jesus in this? He's saying, disciples, I want you to pray just like me. Salem Chapel, I want you to pray just like me. There's this inward movement. It's praying something like this, and I'm just trying to give you some suggestions. That's actually on this card that's in your journal. Just saying something like this, Father, I'm asking you to fill in the blank. You know, Matthew 7 says, ask, seek, knock. That's what Jesus says. But I think what's interesting about this inward movement of our heart and asking the Lord for our needs and relishing the reality that he wants to meet those, he wants to hear those, he wants to intervene on those, is we oftentimes forget verse 12, where it says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. But it's still a part of this inward movement because it's, it's about, Lord, not just what needs do I have that I want you to intervene on, but it's also saying, Lord, where am I? Let me examine my heart and see what areas I've sinned against you. 
Because once again, God, you're not this genie in the bottle that I rub three times and hopefully you'll grant me my wish because then that makes you there to do my bidding. No, no, no. Lord, I'm here to do your bidding. I've already focused on the upward, the, the downward. It's not my will, it's your will. But God, as I'm given these needs, let me also remind myself, Lord, that there may be areas in my life that I need to examine that I may have strayed away from you. I may have wandered away. I may have sinned against you. So Lord, let me take time to confess those things. Let me take time to ask myself, Lord, where in my life do I need to confess sin? Knowing that you're faithful and just, 1 John 1, 9, to forgive me of every one of those sins. It's not this time of guilt. It's not this time of shame. No, no, it's making sure that we're taking time to not just give them our needs, but say, where do I need to bathe into the grace and mercy of God? Where do I need to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. So sorry that I've wandered in this way. God, I'm so sorry I've wandered away from you in that way. You're a good God. Let me ask forgiveness. And in doing that, you know what it does? It also postures our heart when we bathe in God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness. It leads us to that second point. And forgive those who trespass or sin against us. See, if I was to look at your prayer list, and if you were to look at mine, it would, be in, it would probably make up two categories under this inward piece, right? When we go to God, we got physical needs that we need him to provide for, and we got relational needs that we're asking him to intervene in. And so often on the relational needs that we want him to intervene in, most of the time it's easy for us to look at those things and say those relational needs that we need him to intervene in, there's someone else's problem that's affecting us. I'm not the problem. He or she's the problem. Lord, would you intervene in their heart so that they'll come and apologize to me? But what the Lord says is, hey, when you bathe in my grace and remind yourself that there's nothing too big and nothing too small that I won't forgive, it motivates me to be able to say, Lord, who in my life do I need to forgive? See, it's not just about my needs and what I want or what I desire, but it's also understanding that what I need most oftentimes is forgiveness from the Lord. And what I may need relationally more than anything else that's actually hurting me and harming me from experiencing the full extent of what it looks like to abide with Jesus is me holding on to something and saying, Lord, I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna forgive it. See, that's involved in the inward peace. It's us saying something like this, Father, you've forgiven me of so much. Would you give me the strength to forgive that? Here's the last movement. There's the outward movement. And once again, let me say this to be clear. These are things that we're just, as we created this tool, we're just using what Jesus said to help us, guide us in how we pray. There's an outward movement, right? So you got the upward movement, you got the downward movement, you got the inward movement. Well, now's the outward movement, which we rarely pray about if we're honest. Jesus says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now think about this. If this is the way that Jesus prayed, God in the flesh, that said, Lord, would you guard me against temptation? Because Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. Matthew talks about that. If Jesus prayed that, who was God, mind you, and who could not sin because he was God, even though he could be tempted, then how much do you and I need to pray for that? I'll answer for you, a lot. See, there's a time that comes when we gotta get off our knees, whether that's literally or figuratively, and we gotta say, Lord, I'm reentering the warfare zone. I gotta be battle ready. Because that's the world that we live in. I don't say that in a pessimistic way. I just say that in us being observant. John 10.10 says the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And if we walk out of our time with the Lord and believing this idea that the devil doesn't want to destroy my life, the devil doesn't want to destroy my dreams, the devil doesn't want to destroy my desire to want to please the Lord in what I'm doing, if I don't believe that the, Lord, that the devil wants to destroy my marriage, if I'm married this morning, or destroy my relationships, friendships, the Lord doesn't want to destroy my reputation at work and being someone who's been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if, I don't want to, if I'm 
failing to believe that I am being foolish. And so this outward piece reminds me, hey, before I walk out of my communing with you, before I walk out of this figurative or literal table with you, Jesus, I gotta remind myself that I need your strength to face the day. Can't do it on my own. That's why we read Jude 24 and 25 every week before we leave here. It's not some liturgical thing or because we've always done it at Salem Chapel. It's not the reason why I wanted to still read it. The reason why is because it says the one who's able to keep you from stumbling is Jesus. It's praying something like this. Father, I need your strength to give you glory with how I live my life today in this meeting I'm about to walk into, into this interview, into this game I'm about to play, into this time with this person that I haven't met with in a long time. Whatever it is, Lord, help me to remind myself I need your strength to give you glory. I want you to watch this video of someone who has used this prayer tool in their own life and the significance that it has made, even in the fact that this person has prayed before, but just how they've been able to use this tool in their own time with the Lord. Watch the screen with me. I was having a hard time in that part of my devotion. Like I was getting up, I was reading the Bible, but I could just tell that something was missing and um, God had kind of laid on my heart that it was the prayer piece. The thing that was probably most challenging about prayer in the past was just kind of having like a purpose in the prayer. Like I think a lot of times I would lose my train of thought or I was so stuck on, if I was praying out loud, all of the things that I had to say that the conversation part had, piece had kind of been lost in that too. There was, you know, gratitude and thanking God for who he was. And so that upward piece, I, you know, probably wasn't as consistent as it was now, but it was definitely there. But it was really that your will be done on earth. It's not just about what I'm asking or just what I'm about to do, but you know that, Father, all of this stuff is going crazy, but like, what is your will? What is your will for um, our local church? What is um, your will for our church as a whole? Um, and how we can kind of be um, better stewards of your will here on earth. And then also that outward piece of, you know, asking the Holy Spirit in to make sure that everything I'm working and doing is in his power and in not my own power. So when I first started out with the tool, it was very much like having to write down the arrows to kind of help me um, keep all of the components. Um, but after a time, like the way of praying became more natural. And then one of the other things that I also found becoming more natural was um, kind of the here piece of um, the scripture reading tool, like started incorporating itself into the ask portion of um, the prayer so that it was, you know, my requests weren't just, you know, um, about like the physical world around me and the things um, in the physical world, even though there were still some of that, but it was also God, like this portion of the scripture that I feel like you have, you know, called and, and pulled out, show me what you want me to do with that um, in my in my daily walk. And so um, those kind of tools kind of have started merging um, together in my life. This whole entire prayer tool is um, based off the Lord's Prayer. It might be in a different diagram, but it's not its not a new thing. And it's also not a systematic checklist. That I'm like, oh, I forgot the downward arrow. I gotta start all over again. Like that's not the purpose. The purpose is just to make a fuller and richer prayer life. One of the things that serving in Salem Kids and in the um, pre-K room has been so encouraging is that the tool has also been pared down for toddlers, and so I've got toddlers who can tell you it's praise, it's listen, it's, I mean, they, they know all of the pieces and it looks a little bit different than the adult one, but so it's not some big scary thing. It's a, you know, piece that, you know, really is user-friendly and it does become part, just a natural piece of your prayer life. As we close, I wanna mention three things. First of all, I would love for you, we had these, we had these magnets done up. You can get them at the Welcome Center, just literally, walks you through all four of those movements. And here's what I know, every one of us go to the fridge at least one time a day. And so it's just a nice little reminder to remind you of a way to pray. Here's the next thing, I wanna encourage you, if you didn't grab one of these already, we'll have these at the Welcome Center long after this series. We've actually prepared a custom journal for you that has the Bible reading tool on one side and the prayer tool on another so that you can be consistent in having a way to commune and abide with Jesus. 
And then here's the third thing, and this is something new. You know, we've said we want you to get involved in a life group, but here's the reality of what we know. That some people, they're like, hey, all of the life groups that you have, all some 20 of them, like they, not really one, I don't have one that fits in my schedule. I work third shift or there's not one really in my area. I mean, we got people driving all the way from Mount Airy and out in Davie County and everything. You're like, man, we really don't have a group right now that meets in our area. And here's what we know. We understand that. We sympathize with that. And so we as leaders, as we were talking, we're like, well, how can we provide an opportunity for people to still experience biblical community and use these tools in their own life? And so here's what we've come up with. We've come up with what we call abide groups. Not a replacement of life groups, but in addition to. And here's what that means. We've literally created a kit. Mark's put this together, who oversees our discipleship, and literally walking you through what it would look like for you just to invite two other people or three other people or four other people. Have a group of three to five people, including yourself, that you're like, hey, we're friends. We have the same hobbies. We like to golf. We like to ride a bike. We like to play tennis. We like to, I don't know, do whatever it is. Go to Hobby Lobby together. Can't imagine that, but go to Hobby, whatever it is. Like you like to do that on a Saturday. And how about we take that and then we afterwards, we get together and we encourage one another to abide with Jesus. Maybe it's a college campus. Maybe it's at work on a lunch break and you're like, I got some people that are asking me, man, I know I need to read the Bible, but I don't know how. And so we put this together for you to be a guide on how you can use a journal and the prayer and Bible tools to be able to experience biblical community so that you can grow in your own relationship with Jesus and it helps you to also be able to do that with someone else. And so I'm so excited on how many of these abide groups, God knows where they'll take them. It doesn't have to be someone in this church. It could be two friends that you have an affinity with that go to another church. That's fine. But what we want to do is provide you with a way that your time with God can be substantive as you do that with other brothers and sisters or people who may not even yet know Jesus. We have people doing that right now, and this packet is just designed to help you know how to do that. You can pick that up right at the table in the corner there by the Abide Cafe there, and you can grab one of these. Mark will be there and be able to explain anything about that. But this is just for you to take and you to use and however the Lord is leading you to use it because here's what we want to make sure is true that every person has the opportunity to be in relationship with the Lord and relationship with others as you're seeking Him and abiding with Him. Can I just encourage you as we close this? Here's my desire for you, and more importantly, Jesus' desire for you, is that your prayer life would turn from something that may be mundane and boring or sporadic at best and turn it into one of the most intimate conversations that you have in the day. So can I encourage you, man, let's run to the Father. Let's run to Him. Let's know that He's inviting us into relationship with Him. Would you stand with me? God, we are here today to remind ourselves of the importance, the necessity of talking with you. Forgive me, forgive us of our self-sufficiency in thinking that we can ever hope to live a life that gives you honor and glory and is of kingdom significance on our own. God, may we run to you. And knowing that your arms are open wide, that you're knocking at the door and you want relationship, you want us to experience it, not just to have it. God, we run to you. In Jesus' name, amen.